believe me, I've tried. I wanted to ascend. I wanted to be perfect. I really didn't want to have to make mistakes anymore. I didn't want to like be triggered at all anymore. I really did want to. And there's still definitely a huge part of my ego that's just like, that would be nice. Yeah, right? (laughs) And yet the satisfaction and fulfillment of like allowing myself to grieve that I'm actually just here and be here brings a lot more expansiveness and possibility. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Today, Christina Carlson enters the Trauma Hiders Club. We'll be talking about Christina's healing journey and how she overcame religious trauma. We cover everything from faith, boundary setting, and decision-making. Christina talks about letting go of her deep-rooted beliefs from her religious upbringing, especially the concept of hell. We also talk about carving out safe spaces for faith exploration and self-care. These are times when we all need self-care. So join me and join Christina here in the Trauma Hiders Club. I'm so glad you're here, Christina. So happy to be here, Karen. So Christina, I met from the Tinder for podcast hosts and podcast guests, (laughs) and we matched. (laughs) (laughs) I swiped right on you. (laughs) Right. uh, Yes. And I swiped right on you. I I actually don't even know about swiping. So I I probably was about to say left, but yeah, so we... (laughs) We, we did the swipey thing and here we are. And what I loved about your profile, one was your picture. Um, so the picture is like vibrant paint splattered all over you, right? Like as, and there's, there's a magical mess that's happening there that one for me said playful, two said creative, three said like willing. And I was intrigued. So I was like, got to dig into this. So (laughs) you're here in the Trauma Hiders Club. What are you hiding right now? Well, I would say that that I would be like a someone who has been a trauma hider, Mm. but like my shit is all over the world right now. I'm I'm like, I've interviewed a lot about my experience. So my trauma is broadcast in kind of a, like a public way. However, my history of religious trauma, spiritual abuse, and a lot of other things 
is, is my trauma in the past that kind of has informed a lot of my life and still informs the stories that I tell myself about life to this day. <laughs> mm. So if I'm going to go back to the question, I understand what you're saying that like, look, it's all out there, right? Like similar to me, childhood sexual abuse, you can listen to my show, molested it starting at 10 years old. However, I know that there's shit I hide in any moment. So right now, if you can check into your body, whether it's a sensation, a swirliness, is there anything that comes up for you? Yeah, I would say that like the most recent thing that I've uncovered and have been like sitting with in my somatic body is a story about needing to prove that I deserve to be mm. somewhere and deserve to even be realizing this comes from a deficit that I was told when I was born that I wasn't enough as I was, that I was bad. So, mm. so there is this like drive of my ego and past trauma that says like, you need to try harder, you need to do more. Mm. Being you is definitely not enough. You need to mm -hmm. have embellishments. You need to have more. It's not enough just as it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why were you bad? Um, well, I was raised in radical religious groups. I so the fundamentalist evangelical communities of the Midwest and of the Bible Belt. Um, I had someone recently online correct me and say that the Midwest isn't the Bible Belt, which I'm just like, really fun to thanks for bringing out that technicality. But part of the Midwest that I live in is a part of the Bible Belt because mm. it's the southern part of the Midwest. So I grew up in Missouri and Illinois just across the river from Illinois. And I was just raised in really small fundamentalist communities. So I was homeschooled, very conservative, really kept close and only in community with people who also believe the same things that we did. Um, one of the fundamental views of that faith practice, or I would call it religion, is that you are born sinful, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially being born bad. So your instinct, your nature, your body is considered to be sinful and dangerous and mm. inclined to evil. So there's this immediate sense of distrust that was placed in me for myself and my own mind and my own body. That was the start of that disconnection mm. and the ramifications of being told that and being told what the consequences were supposedly for that, which is like, eternal death and damnation and like this being told to like a three, four or five year old mm. child, like that kind of spiritual abuse has continued to have ramifications on my way of thinking that I am still um, moving through in my somatic body. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine. So I recently had a guest on the show um, and we'll put a link in, in the show notes, a woman, Becca Ferguson, who shared about her own religious trauma. And it was the first time she ever spoke about it was on the Trauma Hiders Club. We dug into the community and connection, which sounds without, you know, looking at the impact of the beliefs, like sounds so great to be in community, like supportive and mm -hmm. um, the community will rally around you when you're in need. And there's so much there that sounds idyllic. And then, right, when you pull back the curtain, the dogma is so frightening and damaging. And I don't know if it's every religion, but specifically when it's 
evangelical or radical, right? Really, I'm curious. I'm curious, one, is your family still connected? Yeah, my parents are. My siblings and I are no longer affiliated. And are you connected to your parents? Somewhat, like loosely. That was was definitely a, a rift that took place when there's a lot within the the community that is involves like children, like controlling your family and like having a go, if you raise them in the way they'll go when they're old, they will not depart from it. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of language around like your, your children are arrows in your quiver to shoot out forward for the Lord. Like there's a lot of this, like we were born and raised to be soldiers for the army of God. And we, mm-hmm. we rejected that. Like we're worthy of stoning according to the old Testament. Like there's, there's a lot that's like for them it's a huge disappointment mm. um, to have their children walk away from something that they they gave everything to keep to like raising us in this particular way. My mom homeschooled us like it was it was everything. So that's been that's been a difficult path to walk, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And in yeah. their community, are they looked down upon? Is there any sense of failure from the community or? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't know. Um, We, like, I only know from my own experience of communication with them, which back in, I believe it was 2016, my, um, my brother said that he was going to be taking a step back from attending church. It was very like mild. um, But the way that my, my mom reacted particularly um, was very re-traumatizing for me. Mm. There, There was something in the way that she responded to that towards my brother. It wasn't even me, but it was just like this, like re-traumatizing, like, whoa, like, so I immediately set up a boundary with her and I was like, I'm not going to be talking with you about anything spiritual Mm. because I don't feel safe to. And since then we haven't discussed, well, it was like maybe a year ago that we actually had a conversation because my dad was there and my dad's a little bit more like even keel. So we had like this conversation about where I'm at now, but I imagine from what I've seen that there is some judgment on them because Mm -hmm. they were judging other families when their kids, you know, it was like they blamed other parents. So I can imagine that their friends, you know, like it's just that I imagine that that is happening, whether to their face or behind their back or, you know, I'm sure they pray for us in Bible study and are very worried for our souls. Yeah. Yeah. And so here you are having removed yourself Here's what I heard that you are here and almost like challenged by your own existence. Not that you are challenged, but the world is challenged by your existence. Is it did I pick up on something? I would like to know more because I'm like, what did you see? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I what I was describing earlier as far as like the trauma that I'm like supposedly hiding or like working mm-hmm. through or being with right now in that way is like the experience of, of feeling like I need to make up for being. Uh, I so it is, it is a challenge to be yeah because I, I feel this drive and need to make up for being myself. What does that mean? As in like believing that I myself am not enough as I am. And yeah. so I need to like do more on top of that to be yeah. good enough just to exist as a person. Yeah. And that's like, I really love to make this distinction. I'm sure you'll understand this as a coach. Like there, there is like a humility that's required to be honest about what we're dealing with. 
because there's layers. Like right. there, there's this wave of coaches that like, I don't know any of them, but like I heard the rhetoric for a while where it's just like, I've moved beyond whatever here you can too. And I was just like, that feels wrong. Like, yeah, because although I've moved through this story in like 25 areas of my life, there's still other ways. I'm just like, oh, there it is again. Hello. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's not, it's not like necessarily debilitating my life anymore. And yet when I really uncover where that, where that like difficulty or trauma is coming from, it's like, oh yeah, I see you again. Yeah. And right. And there you are. And I have resources. That doesn't mean that we live, we don't live in the same body. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right. That is such a, it was interesting. I was having a conversation today with a friend about like the darkness of the personal growth industry and shit like that is just like, (laughs) it is, it's like, I want to throat punch somebody, right? Because using this language of cutting parts of us off or, you know, we, we are done with that part of ourselves. Those parts just come back screaming. They come back screaming and punching. We, right. When we surrender to all of our humanity, we can be with who we are as humans. And everything else is, is literally religious. It's, it's just trying to purify yourself in a different way. It's it's the rhetoric of dogma of like, I need to self-fulfill, self-actualize here on this earth. Like I'm going to ascend. It's trying to escape the human experience, which I think is, Hmm. is in itself problematic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So in your not enoughness that is currently rising up in you, how would you know if you were enough? How would you know when you won that prize? I see you turning into coach mode. I know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about this. Well, the ways that I have noticed is, is that instead of moving from that place, taking action from the place of not enoughness, I find that I'm able to be aware of it and then step back and be in it. So, mm-hmm. so I am doing that. I am actually like with the process of being with, and that is how I know that I am enough because I have yeah. the capability of being with this experience. Okay. If you could see my face listeners, I'm like snaps. Hell yes. Fucking a there. That is, that is what enoughness is. Yeah. Because anything else is like, I'm, I'm trying to be an ideal version of myself, which believe me, I've tried. I wanted to ascend. I wanted to be perfect. I really didn't want to have to make mistakes anymore. I didn't want to like be triggered at all anymore. I really did want to. And there's still definitely a huge part of my ego. That's just like, that would be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And yet the satisfaction and fulfillment of like allowing myself to grieve that I'm actually just here and be here brings a lot more expansiveness and possibility. Absolutely. Gosh, we could end right here because that is what it is. That's freedom. That's spaciousness. That's abundance. That's, I use the word surrender. And when, and sometimes my clients are like, what? what the fuck you want me to surrender to something right as if it's it's a religious trigger (laughs) that it's a religious trigger and also it's a giving up right Mm -hmm. like but when i say surrender it is a giving up but it's a giving up 
of bullshit to be with truth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I And I want to like point out that it's like, it's extremely vulnerable. Like yeah. that my journey with like allowing myself to be with parts of myself and then to be with all of me started when I realized that I couldn't not be like my mother. Mm. And so I needed to look directly at the parts of myself that I had a problem with and to love those parts. Mm -hmm. And it was like the most vulnerable, cringy thing I think I've ever done. (laughs) It still is. It's just like, yep, there it is. Like I I see you being an asshole and I know where this comes from and I love you because it's protective and there's, there's a lot of grief and discomfort in it, but it's, it's one of those things that's like, I've never done this, but like learning to do the splits or like stretching, like you don't notice how much it's increasing until you look back over the course of a couple of months and you're like, Oh, that made a difference. That's right. Yeah. It's all in that practice, right? But first it starts with noticing. It's very unglamorous. So the ego kind of fucking hates it. (laughs) Right. Right. That is for sure. For sure. So if it's true that we coach what we most need, I know that your focus is on self-love. And I think we've had more than a glimpse of what that means for you. Can you tell us how you went from learning about yourself and what you need, almost like this reparenting kind of thing, to being able to help others see what self-love could do, or even identifying that self-love is a challenge, sort of the journey of discovery to helping others to discover for themselves. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make a little, like a little bit of an adjustment to that. I'm a self relationship coach. So my focus is on the relationship, not love. And that's, that's intentional because like, although love is beautiful and love is the goal, like we don't always start there. I'm a big believer in like body neutrality. And like, if you get to body love, fabulous, but like we are, we are not going for ideal or like, or that like highest, whatever, like the being with is a process you'll continue to come back to. So my intention is to focus on self-relationship with like of my own and then of my clients. I love and that. I, think- I love that. I Here I am. I'm the host. I get to interrupt you. <laughs> uh, what I love, even as you said that, part of me relaxed. It really did because what I noticed is self-love sounds, first of all, you know, as someone who experienced childhood trauma, self-love is a rough one. And if it's relationship, then there's no, there's no pretense. Like I'm going to get to a place and this is a promise. I get to define where I get to in my relationship with myself. I thank you for making that distinction. Yeah, because because to jump to love would be to overwrite your choice, which would yeah. be to re-traumatize you. Yes. Like the just like it's <laughs> this is a funny, like very niche example of this, but like in my Christian community, often, especially Bible college, when I was at Bible college, men would come up and be like, The Lord told me to marry you. <laughs> and some girls would just say yes. Then it's like, what the fuck is happening? But but it's that it's like the, this, like, oh, you you said it. So I guess we're doing this now. Like it's submitting. It's like, yes, overriding your entire system to do mm-hmm. something you think you need to do. Right. And 
you you start a relationship, especially those of us who are traumatized, we need to relearn how to be in relationship because we're taught this forced kind of vulnerability as a way of like coping and surviving. We either completely wall off or we're just way oversharing, which was my thing. Mm -hmm. And so we have to relearn how to build and grow a connection. And that needs has to be at your own pace. Mm -hmm. And this, this does lead into answering your question because, um, because for me, what I re- when I realized I had something to offer in coaching, it was when I realized that I truly fucking took my time in the process. I I actually had um, a son- a sense of like my deconstruction or my like taking apart my faith process happened when I started doing hula. So I started I started with reconnecting to my body without even intending to. So my senses. W- was what was guiding me Mm -hmm. and with a history of like OCD and like panic attacks because of hell (laughs) and like that kind of thing. I, I was aware because of dancing, what was like happening in my body around certain beliefs. So it took me like many years to, to let go of one concept at a time. And the, the biggest one for me was the idea of hell because it was, it was one that had caused me so much trauma, but I would like find resources or like I would have friends who were like also going through this process and they would send me a podcast and it was about someone who had come out as an atheist. And I literally was like, Nope, Mm. I can't do it. And I had like the, the awareness to be like, okay, I might eventually maybe, but I don't have to consider that right now. Let's back up and hear some Richard Rohr and like hear theologians. I need to come at this from an angle that feels safe for my nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I think that in that way, I really grew in relationship with myself through through that process because I wasn't just overriding everything again to get to another place. Right. Right. You weren't just taking in somebody else's position in agreement, right? Which is something that we as traumatized people, right? We want to make people happy. We're willing to say yes. We want to look perfect and enough and all of that. How did you know to take your time? God, I don't fucking know. Like, honestly, I, I mean, I thought like, I've always been what the Christian way of saying it was like, I was discerning, discerning. Like Mm -hmm. I had like, you know, there's some spiritual gift or something. Um, But like, I've always been intuitive. I've Mm -hmm. always paid attention to people and um, mostly that's been external, but there there's, I've also been very introspective Mm -hmm. and I like, no one told me to do that. I told a lot of other people to do that. (laughs) And I still do. If I just like, take your fucking time. Like, you cannot rush healing. You cannot rush change. It's going to right. take place in the way that it takes place. If you rush it, it's, I mean, you know, if you have to jump, fucking jump. Yeah. If it's your life or jumping, jump, obviously. Um, I'm here for that Scorpio energy or whatever it is. Like, just do it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and we'll help you pick up the pieces. But also like if if the if the move is what scares you, if the jump is like paralyzing to you, just like move your toes. That's Mm -hmm. it. Do what you can. And that's, I think, honestly, I think it was my body that was telling me to slow down. It was always in my gut, just like this sense of panic. And then I would find like a little bit of a stretchy place for me, like a a pastor who was just on the fringe, you you know, who didn't believe in a literal Bible and would just like sort of take that in Mm -hmm. until it felt like that wasn't overwhelming to my nervous system. And then I would take it like a step further. 
Really cool. That's really cool. So if let's imagine listeners like their ears perked up with relationship to self, can you describe what we would see in someone who ha- who's disconnected from themselves? What would, what would that look like? What would we see? Yeah. I mean, this, this is going to come out in a lot of different ways. I think Mm -hmm. I, I guess I can only speak from what I've seen in myself and my clients and the people that I've read about and worked with, but what I've noticed the most often is difficulty in making decisions, paralysis around what to decide. And depending on where you're at, not that there needs to be a further, not that it's not linear, but like depending on where you're at, at your, your pace, this could be like a very small decision or it could be a bigger decision, Mm. but it's this, like, we tend to look outward and tend to want to know what everyone else is thinking. And we get paralyzed around decisions of like, that's probably ableist language. We get stuck around different like um, decisions because we want to, we want to make sure we're safe and we're doing Mm -hmm. that from an external way. So that that's because our relationship with ourself has some like, we don't have access to it. We don't have capacity to be with it in that way yet. So there's no blame. It's just like, yeah. if your relationship with yourself is disrupted, decisions become harder. Mm-hmm. It also, in that space, it it becomes harder to know what you want, like your desires, which then also plays into decisions. But it, it's really hard to know what we want long-term, short-term. It's also... It also comes out, this This is the first one for me. And I love to tell people this, like, if you're holding in needing to pee, like, start there. <laughs> yes. Because it's so simple, but it's like, that's that's basic. And like, we, at least for me, I was always like, I want to have a good relationship with myself. And I was doing it in my head. It was like completely disconnected from my body still. Yeah. My body. Like, hey. Hey, Hey, remember me? I'm the one who had to pee for three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's me. Yeah. Um, do it. Like taking care of yourself in very simple ways, whatever feels accessible to you, just like regularly drinking water or mm-hmm. being when you need to and just like paying attention to when that's happening with compassion. Like you're doing, you're practicing this with a place of non-judgment. So being with yourself and just observing things, yeah. observing when you do need to pee, observing if it's been three hours and you realize you didn't pee, no judgment. Just be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. That mm-hmm. happened. That that process of doing that for me over the course of many years is what began to heal that relationship with myself and my body, because it was like I had I had started to show over time that I was paying attention and that I mattered to myself. Mm. Um, I got off on a little tangent, but that's like okay. that's probably that's probably I feel like the main ways that that shows up is indecision in all kinds of areas of our lives around knowing what we want, knowing what we need, um, down to like whether we're going to go to a party or not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if knowing that we have choice. So for me, I'll just tell you a little bit more about that. I remember the first time I went to like a coaching intensive and I was new, a baby coach. I didn't know how to breathe right. I didn't know how to take deep breaths. I didn't know how to like do a good inhale or exhale. Um, I wasn't wearing like cool clothes. I didn't have all my water. What are these qualifications? <laughs> I don't know, but I felt like like I needed to call my husband to for him to come pick me up because I just felt so different. 
Like everybody had a secret that I didn't have. But the biggest secret, I got over that part about the breathing and Birkenstocks and whatever else. But what I did notice, and this was actually, a few, it took a f- uh, several years. I remember like when we were in small groups and people would just either describe a situation or themselves or where they were in this moment. It seemed to me that everyone else had this huge vocabulary around feeling words that I did not have. Like I could say, I feel like shit, but I couldn't say I am disappointed. I couldn't say I am full of rage. I couldn't use, and still to this day, like using feeling words is definitely my practice. (laughs) So I, I do practice that, but it occurred to me that after a couple of years, this was really like, I just need to improve my vocabulary around feeling words, but it didn't occur to me that I needed to actually feel those. So, so damn it. Damn it. I actually have to let this happen. Wow. What really struck me the most was that I never knew up until that point that I was allowed to have those feelings. Yeah. So when someone asked me, how was it? Or where am I? Or what's happening in this moment? I didn't know that like I could feel it. You're looking for the right response. Yeah. I was always looking for the right response. I know how I should respond. Yeah. 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 So when you describe what it is to be, you know, can't make a decision, don't know how you feel. um, I didn't know that I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's a very valid survival strategy. Mm -hmm. We look for what is going to keep us safe in those spaces. So we like, what's the right response? Cause that this person who's harming me tends to be satisfied and pacified by these kinds of responses. So that's the one that I give. And in doing that, we lose touch with what the actual sensation is that's happening. Yeah. And, and language is a huge, you know, is a very big help for that. I always, I have um, in my bathroom, the, uh, yeah, the wheel of feelings. I want to get the pillow. Yeah. Um, But also like beginning to, beginning to notice where like those sensations happen when you're able to, like name it is really powerful because then you're, then you're not just externalizing it or like putting it all in your head, which is what I like to do. Then I'm like, now I can analyze it. And it comes from this and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) My therapist and my coach are like, but where is it in your body? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, right. There's that thing. You mean I can't, I can't coach fuck myself all day long. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, I need to lay on the ground and cry. Bummer. Yeah. 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 But that, that takes, um, that takes capacity and, and a sense of actually feeling safe in your environment. And I really truly believe that like things come up when they're ready to be healed, not before. So I don't think it's a good idea to just be like, now I'm going to find all the shit and and fix it or whatever. Like your body knows when it's safe enough to heal and when it has the space to do so. And if it's resisting like, and, or you don't even know it's there, then like, it'll come up when it's time. Try to make yourself safe. Take the steps that feel good. You don't need to like force it because that's trauma. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And that's, that's like, what is the term in education? It's like learning to the test, something I know that's not teach to the test, teach to the test, right? It's like, 
I'm I'm going to do this thing because you are like, that's that's a subject area we're in right now based on the agenda. But yeah, so yeah, or it's like teaching. I mean, our entire Western mm-hmm. system is set up to like cater to one type of learning and everyone else is just like, but <laughs> that's not how I learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in looking at one's relationship to self, what would we... I imagine each person is different. Is there something that is a universal theme that in terms of the work we would do or the questions we would ask or that you would ask? Yeah. I mean, I would get curious, like what, like, why is this coming up for you right now? Like what's brought this up? How do you, how do you know this is a problem right now? Which is probably what you would come to me with in the first place is I'm like having trouble with this thing. Yeah. And then through that, no matter what it is, there's going to be an element of finding a way to listen to yourself in that, Mm -hmm. whether it's like regularly getting space to yourself to be um, a meditation practice, remembering to pee, some way of practiced connection. Some people like ritual, some people like a variety of things to choose from and a set amount of time to do that in. Just depends on the person and your style of learning. But I do generally encourage some form of um, physical movement and doing it slowly. For me, this has always been self-massage. I'll rub my feet with oil every night just as a way of like reminding myself that I'm a body. Mm, Nice. Um, And it's also beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, now I have like some somatic practices that I move in there too, but I've always had like a practice movement of dance. So usually I, I ask my clients if they have a way of movement that feels good to them or if they're curious about exploring something. The interesting thing about like that I've noticed is that like when we do something new, we tend to be more present. Mm-hmm. So finding something that sounds fun or silly to do that you've not done before is a really great way to bring yourself back into awareness of yourself as a body. It gives you the chance to be like, oh, this feels funny. And then you're like, where does it feel funny? It feels funny here. Like you're very aware of it because you haven't done this thing before. So finding if if you're just like, I don't know, I can't (laughs) feel it. then trying something like that can be a really beautiful way to do that. Um, I personally love things that make you balance if that's accessible to you, if you have capacity to do that. Things like yoga, paddleboarding, skating, skateboarding, surfing, Mm -hmm. all of these things that you like, you have to focus (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we don't balance like that normally like even if it's simple as trying a tree pose every day it's bringing awareness it's making you focus on on doing that exact thing and when you lose track you fall which is not a problem in and of itself that's actually a part of it is then you try again then you try again that is the learning you're coming back to your body then you're noticing you're coming back to your body then you're noticing you're laughing when you mess up that like that process is really really powerful for reconnecting that bond. Like, I feel like you could ask any marriage counselor too. It's like, we need to reignite the spark. It's like, it's probably not going to be a serious conversation. You've been having a lot of those. Maybe go do something fun together. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, Unless all you do is play, then you might need to have a serious conversation. Right. <laughs> but, but for most people, it's like with our bodies, it tends to be like, we've just avoided like dealing with those things because we know that when we do, there's going to be some, some consequences or ramifications. Mm-hmm. Those both have negative connotation, but there will be things that happen that we right. don't know yet because we haven't lived like that. So there is yeah. that like fear of the unknown in there. Yeah. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I asked you sort of like what it looked like along the way. If 
We were to see someone who is practicing and continues to practice and starts to build those connections to a sense of self, the re- their relationship with themselves. What what would we see? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing these things. Um, so I I find that like I end up seeing my clients make decisions, like make Ooh. a decision, whether it's like so many people I work with quit their jobs too, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because yeah, because they're like, oh, I fucking hate this. Yeah, which is fun to see, but it's not always a job. It's it's sometimes a relationship. It's sometimes a, um, a trip or a like thing that they wanted to do for themselves, like getting a tattoo, or sometimes it's going on putting something together for their community or like something that they've, they didn't know they wanted before. And now they know they want some people it's opening the relationship. It's like this exploration. What I begin to see is like the emergence of a will. Everyone has a fucking backbone. And we all know that like those of us socialized as women like are just taught to be quiet. It's fucking there. Mm -hmm. And like the minute you give it a chance to emerge, it's like, oh, there it is. (laughs) Right. And and seeing those, seeing those expressions, like some of my clients who've started like just out of like like still in therapy, just out of religion. Um, it looks like enjoying their own company, enjoying time Mm -hmm. alone. Um, finding a way to incorporate pleasure in their life that brings them joy, mm-hmm. understanding that their time is valuable and that incorporates into like more happiness, change the way they dress. They glow a little bit more. I <laughs> love that. That's so, that's so great. What has been for you in your own journey of exploration, what has been the most glorious part about the relationship that you have with yourself. I can feel my own energy mm. and it feels like a resource to me. So cool. I I was, because of the way that I was like indoctrinated, my mind was not a safe place. Yeah. Um, so I compartmentalized it and found a safe place of fantasy within my own, you know, there was like layers in there. And through this process of, of developing a relationship with myself and with my body, I've begun to to feel my own energy like a resource. And so when things are difficult, I I like immediately turn to me mm. and I'm like, I have me. And like, of course, like I have community and I think that's critical, but, but knowing that like my own energy is a place that I feel safe in mm-hmm. and I can actually sense and sense that it's different than other people's yeah. is, is one of the most fucking delightful things. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I heard when you said that I can sense my own energy. I was like, fuck yes, I can too. And yes, that's just what I thought of was, and this might, well, I'm not going to put judgment around it. <laughs> I know that this, this vessel, this body, this energy, these decisions, these feelings, these sensations, this is home. This is safe. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly not always been that way. And it's been a lot of looking over there and over there. And that doesn't mean I don't need anyone else or want anyone else. It's that actually I can give more of myself in relationship with other people because this is home. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? The dynamic yeah. of moving from, because I think for, for many of us in, who have lived through trauma, there's a tendency towards codependence. We're like submitting. We want someone to tell us what to do or we want to tell someone else what to do, depending on how that's like come out for you. And uh, I think for most of us, it's 
tell me what to do. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so all of this, like when, when we do that, we're coming to a relationship with an expectation of on someone else yes. in, in a way that is in dehumanizing for both of us. And yep. so being able to be in relationship from a place where you're both whole people needing each other. Yes. But in a way that's not like, tell me who I am and tell me what to do. You're both yeah. autonomous beings being together. Interdependence is All like, right. it's a new experience. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes, for sure. It's, and it's, that is like, that's the glory I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. What's been most helpful for you today being in the Trauma Hydras Club? Oh, I just like feeling your energy and the mm-hmm. way you ask questions. I can sense like your, um, your compassion and your like, um, your presence as a coach feels like warm and curious. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes, I don't know, people are like, oh, that's really direct. But it is. Mm. It's warm, curious, loving. Used to be really mean when I, mm. I feel like my energy was mean when I was first a coach. And over time, there just a lot of softness came through. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I wonder if like, I kind of am curious about mean and anger. Like Mm -hmm. I, one of the things that I worked through when I first became a coach was like, how do you like, how do you stay embodied and set a boundary at the same time? Because what I was doing was I was overriding my entire physical experience to do the thing. Yeah. And in doing so, I was causing harm because I wasn't connected to my body. I didn't know how to feel the difficulty or the discomfort of doing the thing and still stay there. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was so similar to my experience. Yeah. On top of that, I had this thing. I think I was I was just angry um, and didn't realize that my anger was like my inner 10-year-old self who was like, Be truthful. I was just out of alignment. That is, it's coming to me now. Karen, Mm. truth is like, truth is who you are. Why are you playing this game of like, do that? You're right. Do that thing. Be perform, perform as the coach. And it was, yeah, it was kind of mean. And it's hard to let that go. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's protective. (laughs) Yes. It was protective. And over time and lots of therapy, I got to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most excited about in your world right now? Oh, I'm, I'm always so excited about my one-on-one work. Mm, I, I love working with clients around their relationship with themselves, whatever, however that's showing up for their lives right now. I specifically adore nurturing people who have been through leaving a religion as an mm. experience. Like I I feel like because of my years of work in this and because of my own life experience, I have a lot of wisdom to offer around this particular experience um, and can speak very uniquely to it. Yes. Um, so I just always get really excited and also just like, it's hard to describe. It's like this warm, like, I want to, I want to give to you yeah. <laughs> um, and getting to see that, getting to see that in my clients is really, really beautiful because it's, because I know a lot of those feelings myself and yeah. it's, it's just a gift to get to know people who have been through what we've been through and see, see the power of their resilience and their will to, to do better for themselves and often their kids. Isn't that so nice? It's, it's interesting. School of life. <laughs> is so much more powerful than 
any of these credentialing approaches. So much more. When we bring out of ourselves and our experience, shit, magical shit happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I was thinking about this in light of the recent submarine stuff that's happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow the news. I think, I think there's like a time for a body of like <laughs> yes. accountability and I'm like yes. engineers and doctors, like, please don't, please get your degrees. Yeah. Um, but a lot of things in life, we really need integrity mm-hmm. and um, apprenticeship yes. and like ancestral guidance. Like we need elders, mm-hmm. not like just like notes on a page, you know? Right. Um, and you're right. Like that, that experience of having been mentored by, by people who are supporting you to be in integrity um, and then bringing your experience to that is so fucking powerful. So fucking powerful. It's, it's where the magic happens. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or we didn't look at that you feel is missing? Um, I would just say for anyone who's listening, I have a really, um, a really fun quiz. Nice. That, that uh, people just adore. It's called What Ex-Religious Pipeline Are You On? Um, it's hilarious and everyone has so much fun with it. So I highly okay. recommend just taking it for fun. <laughs> okay, that's great. So we'll have a link to your website. It's on your website, right? Yeah. And yeah, I'll make a note to specifically link to the quiz. Yeah, sounds good. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much for being here. This was this was all things. There were many times throughout that I re- that I felt myself getting choked up and had some tears welling up and lots of joy and lots of celebration and lots of life. So thank you for all of that. Thank you for having me. And thank yeah. you for, for witnessing me in this and for, for being such an incredible host. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.